The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 816 for Monday, May 25th, 2020. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We mix them all together into an agenda and we take that agenda and we sort of loosely base the show on it. Let's be quite frank. Uh, it, when things come up, we, you know, we like to take little tangents and, and explore things because the goal is for each and every one of us to learn at least five new things. And so that takes precedence over everything. Uh, <clears throat> sponsors, excuse me. Sponsors for this episode include expressvpn.com slash MGG, purple.com slash MGG, otherworld computing at maxsales.com, and linode.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about those <clears throat> as usual throughout the show. For now, as usual, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Trifle, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? As well as can be expected. That's good. I hope I hope I hope you uh, hope you have a good like weekend and day and all of that good stuff. I hope everybody does. It's uh, yeah, we're all rooting for each other, right? That's that's uh, that's what we do. And uh, and what better way to root for each other than to share a couple of quick tips, shall we, John? We'll start with uh, with listener Jeff. I love these things that we learn about, <clears throat> and Jeff brings us to us brings one to us. He says, "I often press Command Shift four to make a screenshot." The little crosshair pops up to start the selection, and sometimes I don't get it quite right. I used to just finish anywhere, delete the file, and start again. Did you know, and the answer is no, I didn't, uh, that if you keep the mouse button pressed in while selecting, then hold the space bar, this allows you to reposition your selection on the fly to exactly where you want it. So you hit Command Shift 4 or Command, uh, what is it? Command Control Shift 4, Command Option Shift 4. Command Control Shift 4, I think, puts it on the clipboard. Command Shift 4 saves it to the disk. But either one brings up the crosshair. You do the little crosshair deal. And then if you realize, oh, it's not quite right, you hold down the space bar. And now moving the mouse actually drags the whole selection window around. It's a pretty cool thing. It's, it's one of those things you have to do it a couple times. So you are you're dragging and holding the mouse button down. You're keeping the mouse button down. Cause when you release it is when it takes the screenshot. And then while still holding the mouse button down, you hold the space bar down. Now you can drive the whole selection uh, window around the screen. So I like that one. That's I will use that uh, routinely if I can get my fingers to remember how to do it, John, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's uh, that's how that goes. Right. Nice. Yeah, I thought so. All right. Uh, shall we move on to Peter? Sure. Sure. All right. Peter, uh, another one. He, I, again, I love these things. Uh, he said that um, you can rearrange your columns in the finder. So if you're like me and you like to use the, the finders uh, column view, I guess, is that what they call it? They call it uh, list view, I guess. Right. Yeah, it's list view, view as list. So go to view as list. You can rearrange the order in which columns appear here. I had no idea that you could change the order. I knew you could change uh, the oh, yeah. size, the width of them, 
but I didn't know you could just drag the order around by, by grabbing the header and moving it. And then it will remember that at least on my machine, it does remember that for the next time you come back to this particular window, which is pretty cool. So mm-hmm. I'm sure there's scenarios where that's not true and it doesn't remember it because it's the finder and things get weird, but you know, like that's okay. Right. Right. And of course you knew if you right click, it lets you add or delete columns. I did not know that. I always did that by going to view, uh, show view options. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. No, it is. I had no idea you could right click and just choose them there. Makes perfect sense. (laughs) See, look at that. The bonus quick tip. Mm -hmm. I like it. I'm already at three things, John. It's great. It's great. More. Uh, we got some uh, cool sure. stuff. I don't have any more quick tips. Actually, we have one, but we're saving it for later because it ties in with a question. We kind of want to keep topically. Uh, we want to apply it topically. And I meant that. Uh, Patrick has a cool stuff found for us. Mr. Braun. Patrick says, uh, uh, have you guys looked at using golden chaos uh, with better touch tool? It does crazy things to the control strip. It's a little complex, but it makes the control strip worthwhile. I don't have a Mac with a control strip right now, John, but but I know someone that does. And he's that that someone is you. Have uh, you messed with this golden chaos thing? No. Dude, it looks cool. It like there's all kinds of things that you can add to the uh to the touch bar there. Widget groups dynamic menu bars, uh, modal widgets that appear at certain times, dock badges you can move to the to the bar. This looks really cool. Uh, so if you have a Mac with a touch bar, I, I, I would, if I had a Mac with a touch bar, I would use this, or I, at least I would play with All using right. it. So, so there you go. I uh, highly, uh, highly recommend checking it out, even though I, I can't, but I can look at the screenshots and get obviously very excited about it. So. Yeah, good. Any uh anything, Mr. Braun? Any thoughts on that? Nope, no, I, I, I do have to uh explore my touch bar in a bit more detail. Yeah. But what it does already I kinda like. Uh, yeah, yes. I found that when I was testing those Macs with the touch bar, it was you know, it's it's a new thing, right? So it's not part of your normal workflow. And you gotta kinda you gotta kinda get there with it. So Yeah. Cool. Uh, It's worth taking some time. All right. uh, Another cool stuff found, I suppose we'll call this one. And that is from Zach. Zach points out two great little terminal commands, PB copy and PB paste. And PB copy, according to the manual page in the terminal, takes whatever you feed to it on the standard input. So it could be the result of a command or something like that uh, and puts it on the clipboard. And then... Uh, when you use PB paste, it slurps it back out and spits it back out to standard output. So you could use these together or you could use them. So if you've got some script or something that does a thing and it, you happen to be using the terminal for it, you could spit that out to the clipboard. And now you can use obviously use the clipboard any way you want, like, you know, with command V somewhere else in, you know, in, a, in, in the GUI part of the app. The clipboard is is common to both. So. I thought that was pretty cool. Have you ever used PB copy or PB paste, John? No, it's interesting that it's PB. Yeah. At first I read that and I'm like, PB pasteboard. Pasteboard. That's right. 
Yeah. I guess is another term that some have used for the clipboard. Right. 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 Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. All right. I got, uh, I've got two cool stuffs found, John. The first is a thing and it is the Eggtronic power bar. And what the Eggtronic power bar is, is it's a, a wireless power brick. Essentially it's a, it's a battery, right? And it's, but it's got uh, a USB C port on it for both charging in and up to 30 watt power delivery out. So that's cool. And then uh, it's got two chi pads on it for your your phone, right? Or, you know, whatever you want to use them for. And then it's got a watch charger on it. And what's cool is they're all on kind of the top of it. And if your watch would just lay on it, great, then you use it. Or you can raise up the uh, the, the watch thing. And I've, I've actually been able to fit you know, my cloth band underneath it. Cause I've got one of those loop bands or whatever on my watch currently. So uh, the two chi pads on it are 7.5 watt. So they'll do the Apple fast charging and you know, all of that stuff. And like I said, 30, uh, 30 watt USB power delivery out. So, and it's a 10,000 milliamp hour battery. I think they're charging 150 bucks for it. So not entirely, you know, cheap, but, but these things generally are not if they're built well. And I've been testing this one. I'm, I'm impressed with it. So it's pretty cool. When we can travel again, I will like to have this with me because it's a good, like, you know, bedside table thing. I hate having to fish around for, uh, uh, an outlet. I mean, look, I would, I would, I would love to be in back in the scenario where I had to fish around for an outlet, uh, because I would love to travel again, but, uh, I don't like to have to fish around for an outlet if I don't have to. And oftentimes near the bed, things get weird, uh, you know, with where the outlets are, if they don't have USB ports in like the, you know, the radio or the lamp or the clock or whatever it is. So I like to bring a power bar with me and I just charge that during the day, wherever power is convenient, usually on the desk. And then at night I bring it over and this one with the watch thing in it, it's great. I just pop them all together and charges my phone and I could charge my iPad out the, the, you know, the power delivery port and all that good stuff. So USB-C to lightning and I'm good to go because my iPad's still lightning. So good. Yeah. It's good to have at least one. Uh, I always bring at least one honking large battery. Um, yeah. During my travels. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to have. I agree with that. And now I love that we have laptops now that can be charged from a battery. That is, to me, is key. I freaking love it. It's awesome. All right. Uh, another one is called Sound ID. Uh, and this is from Sonarworks, who are the folks that have been building. Well, and this is this background is important. They've been building things to help recording studios, either pro studios and like home studios, uh, get their sound their speakers and their environments down to what's called a reference level uh, for years so that you know that the sound coming out of your speakers is what is being sent to them and not being colored by the speakers. You know it, what your environment is doing and all of that. And they've spent, you know, I think more than a decade sort of working that out, profiling all kinds of different things. Well, they've now delivered that to us as a consumer, not from the recording studio side, but from the music listening side. And in fact, they've learned quite a bit about how people, because most of us wouldn't actually like to hear things at reference level. That's a flat EQ. And it's usually not a, uh, not a thing that 
that sounds good to us, quite frankly. It's good when you're mixing audio in a studio so that you kind of have a flat, you know, neutral response. But most of us like to have a little bit of coloration. So what um, what this does is it's an iOS app. You plug in your, you know, your headphones, you wear your headphones, however you're doing that wirelessly or wired. And they it then asks, it plays some things for you and asks you which you like better and you've developed like your own sound fingerprint, right? Your own sound profile and you can tweak it, uh, on, you know, it, over time you can, you can then do a hearing test as well with it, not for like medical reasons, although the results might tell you, you know, if you want to like visit this further with say your audiologist or something, but, but mostly to get that music listening experience to where you want it. And what's great is it can move you with you from your fingerprint can move with you from device to device. So you can have it on your, you know, on your iPhone, they have a Mac app now. Uh, and so you can, once you figure out, once it helps you figure out what your, your sound ideas, your sound profile is, then it can kind of, you know, take this with you everywhere, uh, which is cool. It, you know, it, once you know how you like music, then it it's nice to just have music sound like that for you everywhere. So it's a pretty cool little thing. It's worth, it's worth checking out. I've been messing with it for a little while here and uh, both on iOS and on my Mac. So, so there you go. Cool stuff found sound ID from, uh, from sonar works. So. Fun stuff. Doesn't, yeah. Doesn't the music app on either platform have a equalizer somewhere? It has equalizers, but that's not the whole thing. And, and, it's up to well, you. I, I was asking about the built-in Mac app. So they they have, it, it sounds like this is like a smart equalizer. So it's creating a, a sound profile, similar to what you do when you move the little lovers up and down on the, the equalizer. But last I checked, music has one. It does. So I don't think it shows it by default, but if you want to, you know, fiddle with it, Though it sounds like, you know, this is a smarter option. It's a smarter way. Yeah, it, it does it. It does it based on what you actually like to hear not based on what you think you like to see on an EQ curve. Mm. Right. So it's just asking you questions like, Oh, okay. And it's, it's kind of like when you go to the eye doctor and they ask you, you know, is a better or B better? And you're just kind of listening and it narrows it down and comes up with this profile for you, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I'm actually very impressed by it. So yeah, cool. One last cool stuff found. This is for our uh, Synology using friends uh, from listener, Neil. And it is that Backblaze now supports the Amazon S3 protocol. And why that's important to Synology users is Amazon S3 is, is Amazon's way of storage solution, for lack of a more detailed term. And there is a way of that, a protocol, an API that you can use to send data to it and get data from it. And Backblaze has added that API to their backup platform, which means you can get Backblaze's pricing connecting via anything that supports the Amazon S3 protocols. And Synology's hyper backup supports the Amazon S3 protocols. So we don't have to wait for Synology to decide whether or not they want to support Backblaze in this way. Uh, you just can do it and you're good to go. So that's pretty exciting, I think. So uh, I wanted to I wanted to share it. Neil, Neil wasn't sure if that was, you know, if that hit the 20 percent mark, because we have the kind of the 20 percent mark. We, we like to look at our questions and tips and stuff and be like, well, is it does it 
does it resonate for at least 20% of the audience? If so, it goes in the show. I think this one probably does knowing how many of you have followed us down the Synology rabbit hole. So yeah, good. Cool. E O. All right. Um, you know what I want to do, John, is I want to take a minute and talk about our first two sponsors, if that's okay with you. Awesome. All right. Our first sponsor here is Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. You know that Otherworld Computing is the place that we go when we want to add things to our Macs. Well, we've been talking a lot about adding drives and we've been talking about thunderbolt and USB-C and which time is best for both and OWC has been busy because they doubled the storage by shipping their four terabyte NVMe SSDs and so what that means is that the very popular and we talk about it all the time here the Envoy Pro EX both the Thunderbolt 3 and the USB-C versions now max out at four terabytes instead of two terabytes before. And we love these drives. Like I've got one literally right in front of me here. It is the external drive that I have on my studio computer here. It's the one that we are recording this episode to right now. Uh, it is my work drive, right? It's the thing that's got everything and it's super fast. It's like, you know, 2,400 megabytes a second and all of that great stuff. So they've doubled the size. The max size is now four terabytes. And of course, that's not just where it ends. They've gone from an eight terabyte max up to a 16 terabyte max on their Thunderblade and Excelsior 4M2. Man, like it's crazy. Do you ever think we'd be using this much storage? I know you didn't. I didn't. It's how it goes, but but we use it. Thankfully, OWC has it. So go check them out, macsales.com. Check out those Envoy Pro EX drives, the Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C. They're, they're some of our favorites here, so you got you to gotta check it out. Our thanks to Otherworld Computing at macsales.com for sponsoring this episode. Working from home is cool. We can do a lot. Like, thankfully, we can do a lot. Technology allows us to do so much from our houses. We can, you know, have video calls and we can host podcasts and all of this stuff. But you can't do everything from your house. Sometimes you need a server. And you don't want to host that server in your house. You want that server to be hosted by people that host servers. And that's where our next sponsor, Linode, comes in. Because when you go to linode.com slash MGG, that's where you're going to go to get your server that you need for whatever it is for your business, even for personal stuff. Because their lowest price server, it starts at five bucks a month. Like you can run a server for an entire month for five bucks. I do it. I have one of these. It's called a nanode. I've got one of these running that I do different things with. I mean, it's fully capable. If I wanted to like host a huge website on it, well, then I'd, I'd pay more because I'd want more capacity. But for, you know, just like experimenting and doing things, their nanode is a great place to start. And then when you need more, you just scale it up. Very cool stuff. That's why we talk about it here. Every server that they have has native SSD storage connected to their 40 gigabit network, industry-leading processors. You get to pick from any of their 10 worldwide data centers. You got to go check this out. Go to linode.com slash MGG. Good news. You get a $20 credit added to your account by signing up that way. Yeah, that means you'd get four free months of a Nanode server if that's the path you go. Go check it out. Our thanks to Linode at linode.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. 
All right, John, let's, um, I think this is going to be a geek challenge. I don't think we have an answer for, uh, Bob, but maybe we do. Uh, Bob asks, he says, um, I've been using PowerPoint as my go-to drawing program for several decades, but not for much longer. I'll be upgrading to a MacBook Pro and Catalina soon, and I don't want to pay Microsoft's monthly fee for something I only use a few times a year. I've tried Keynote, uh, but it's a bit cumbersome, so I'm looking for a relatively simple drawing app to replace what I'm doing inside PowerPoint. I'm hoping someone in the Mac Geek Gab family has some suggestions. And he did. He posted this on our forums, too. So uh, if you have any thoughts, please do share them. Uh, but uh, yeah, off the top of my I don't you know, I do all my graphics work in Pixelmator, but that's not a drawing program. That's a that's a photo editing program. Uh, it's cheaper and, in my opinion, way better than Photoshop. So that's why I use Pixelmator. But uh, <clears throat> but I, it doesn't it's not a drawing program. So. I'm I'm curious what folks are using for drawing programs on the Mac. So you can, if you know, uh, send 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 it to us. I, either post in the forums; the link will be in the show notes, or uh, uh, or email us. Right, feedback at macgeekab.com, John. I think I heard you say feedback at macgeekab.com. Yeah, just in case I wasn't clear, it was feedback at macgeekab.com. That's correct. So. Yeah, hopefully we can find Bob and the rest of us a drawing app. I know we've been through this before, but I since I don't do drawing, it it like it does not stick for whatever reason. I don't know, man. Let's... Um, I mean, off the top of my head, so one, believe it or not, Preview does have some rudimentary mm. drawing features. Very it's not rudimentary. Not a drawing program either. Right? Yeah, exactly. But it, yeah, depending on what you're looking to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And that you can pretty much edit, or I mean, you could load a picture and then clear it and then start drawing. And I, I think you got to say show markup. Yeah, it's the markup features. The, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thought I have is, uh, you know, if you're looking for a PowerPoint placement, and of course that's what Keynote can be for a lot of people. Totally. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't use the office suite right now, but there's also the, the, uh, office compatible suites that probably That's have a, true. um, PowerPoint component. So, you know, LibreOffice or open office or oh. whatever office that LibreOffice definitely has a PowerPoint component. Uh, so there's no reason that you couldn't just, and no, that's free. You can go download LibreOffice today for free. So, uh, maybe for for what you're doing bob especially if you're more comfortable in powerpoint maybe that's the right answer oh good thinking mr braun i like it yeah huh huh interesting interesting all right well there's some options for you but hopefully we'll we'll get uh we'll get more let's see there's there's a couple showing up in the chat room right now and that is uh one called inkscape john that uh, that we will put in the show notes, uh, which is compatible with Catalina. The the uh, but it's called it's it's at Inkscape.org. org, uh, mm -hmm. so we will put that in there. Thank you to Kiwi Graham in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com. Alex uh, has suggested Krita K R I T A. It's a professional, free, and open source painting program. So we'll put that in the show notes too. Oh, look at this. Uh, and, wow. and Brian Monroe suggests, uh, Autodesk is Autodesk's. That's not how we speak. Is Autodesk's. it Autodesk's sketchbook four plus? Right. <laughs> so, uh, I'll put that there too. Anything else, John? 
And Warren, uh, yeah, oh, I didn't mention this, but why not? Um, I think there's a Mac native version, but GIMP or GNU image manipulation program. Okay. Yep. Is like kind of, uh, last I checked, kind of a Photoshop. I, yeah, I thought that was more for photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't used it. Maybe it's got some drawing stuff in it now. Yeah. Huh. Oh, now I, well, now I know what to, what my next quarantine project is going to be is uh, maybe mm -hmm. I'll, I'll mess around with drawing on my Macs. So cool. Cool. Awesome. All right. Uh, we good on this one. Any, anything more, Mr. Brown? I think so. All right, cool. Then, uh, then let's go to Kevin who I'll, I'll, I'll share Kevin's question, but, but there's, there's a, there's a great solution. He says, I began using iMazing to back up my family's phones and iPads after hearing about it on the show. Uh, it works flawlessly, but after some time, I found that the backups were consuming almost a third of my MacBook Pro's internal storage. So I created a shared folder on my Synology and copied all of the backup data there. Then I went into home library application support iMazing and deleted the backup folder and replaced it with a sim link to the shared folder on my Synology. And the setup works perfectly. Uh, he says the backups take a little bit longer, but uh, backup data now lives on my Synology and doesn't take up room on my laptop. Great. His question, is this safe? He says, I know that some programs like photos don't work well over network connections and the risk of data loss is considerable. Is that the case with iMazing? I browsed their support forms and couldn't find an answer. The space savings on my MacBook Pro is great, but I don't want to get caught. Well, so the answer is, as far as I've been able to experience, no problem putting this on the NAS. Uh, but it's even easier than what you did. What you did is fine. Obviously, it works. But iMazing is suited for this. Go to iMazing, go to Preferences, go to Backups. And you can set not only your default backup location, but per backup, you can actually set where you want it to, to send things. And if you happen to have an archive of backups, you can add that folder to its loaded backup locations list, which is right in that same preferences dialog. And that way, if you need to restore from a backup, it's always pulling from every or it's giving you the option to pull from everything out there, which is cool. So yeah, go check, check the preferences uh, in iMazing. They, they've done some good stuff there, I think. Anything to add to that, Mr. Braun? No, it's nice that they, because yeah, those backups can, uh, I remember one time I did a disk scan and it was like tens of gigs. It yeah. It can get that large depending on right, right. how much you store and how big your phone is and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, you want to, uh, you want to take us to Douglas, my friend? Douglas has a head scratcher here. Okay. So the question is, I'm trying to help a friend set up his new MacBook Air and migrate his data from his old MacBook Pro. So far, everything has gone fairly smoothly, considering we have to do this by phone and TeamViewer, and also considering besides email and Facebook, my friend is not uh, Mac Savvy. Ah, yeah, uh, so the right. The problem yeah. he has run into is that there is a particular file that cannot be deleted from the Mac. When he tries to empty the trash, he gets the message shown in screenshots one through four below. I, of course, want to get info as the pop-up box instructed. Um, okay. Um, let's see. I did some searching on Google and there were some suggestions about rebooting, rebooting in recovery mode and using the terminal. And actually I think he was on the right path with that. Um, and yeah, he tried to move out of the trash and it wouldn't work. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, the dialogue said, uh, 
what was it complaining about here? Let, let me find. Ah, the operation can't be completed because the item voice trigger is in use. Voice trigger. And so I took a sh- shot in the dark, Dave, and I'm like, wow, you know, let me let me pop that into Google and see if anything comes up. And believe it or not, I found an article at Reddit that huh. um the title of it was Cannot Empty Trash Because Voice Trigger is in Use. Hmm. Hey. <laughs> That that sounds like a good path to head down. Did, what was the um, what was the the net of all this? Um, basically, if you read through it, and the the person claims to have done this and it worked fine, um, this is something that actually came up, I think, an episode or two ago, Dave, when we were trying to uh, change the NVRAM, and you couldn't. Um, mm. You want to disable system integrity protection is the answer in this case. Got it. Then that empty trash should, and we've seen this before too, where you have to do, it just won't let you delete things. It, it totally blocks the attempt and right. gives you some. So I think that's it. And then at that point, so it sounds like what it's doing is it's trying to empty the trash before doing the migration and it can't. So got it. Yeah. So I, makes I, sense. I guess migration assistant gets stuck on that part. Right. 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 Yeah. It makes so, sense. Yeah. So hopefully, and, you know, any other messages you get a lot of times when it's like, you know, permission denied or, or, or whatever, which I've run into, um, disable SIP yeah, and re-enable it maybe when you're done. When you're done. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a feeling that SIP, oh no, I guess it's not disabled on either of my Macs right now because I, I did the roll around thing, but anytime I run, you know, one of those utilities that sort of audits things and, and checks. You, you know, it always comes up and it's like, you know, you don't have SIP enabled. It's like, I ah, know I turned it off for a thing and I didn't turn mm-hmm. it back on. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, Alex in the chat room suggests that in, I think in this scenario, SIP was the answer, but uh, in the chat room suggests try starting up in safe mode and emptying the trash that, that can help sometimes. Know. Right. So, so anyway, all right, shall we, uh, Shall we move on here? One more with lots of uh, free space to clear up. Gannon brings us, he, he says, I think Gannon is a he, um, apologies if I, if I guess that wrong. I, um, anyway, uh, Gannon says, I have a Mac mini with 256 gigs SSD internal. I have a Drobo 5D attached as external storage with my photo library stored on the Drobo. I've noticed my internal Mac storage lower than in the past, so I ran a disk scan using Daisy Disk, and it pointed out 80 plus gigs of data in my user library folder, specifically user library containers, com.apple.cloudphotosd, data library application support. He says, I do use iCloud Photo Library and have seen the option of, uh, or I have set the option, download originals to this Mac. Why is there so much photos slash iCloud data stored locally on my Mac when the fold the photo library itself is stored externally on the Drobo? What can I do to safely free up that space on my local Mac? So I dug into this, John, and I don't have that folder on my Mac, specifically on my Mac that's set up very much the same way as, as Ganon with my photo library stored on an external drive. Do you have it on yours? I looked up both my machines, and the answer is no. I have things that are named similarly. Sure. Like, you know, cloud photo something or other, but not that specific one. So, so I, I think, think I'm thinking what you're thinking. Wait, wait go ahead. But yeah, Tell take me it. what you're thinking. All right. 
So I'm I'm thinking that this is a holdover from a previous version of photos. Uh, best case scenario. I mean, it could be some, you know, malware trying to masquerade as as photos. I don't know what malware would be doing putting 80 gigs of data on your drive, though. Uh, the interesting thing is that there is a process called Cloud Photo D uh, that runs currently, at least on Catalina, but nothing called Cloud Photos D, and that's what uh, Gannon's folder was named. So I think, I mean, I would do a backup before you before you blow away 80 gigs of data, by all means, do a backup. But I don't think you're going to see anything using this. Now, another way to check would be to launch, uh, go into Activity Monitor and you know, you, you want to, well, the first thing you want to do is make sure you're looking at all processes. So you do that by going, once you're in activity monitor, go to the view menu and choose all processes. And then from here in the search box, type photo, uh, just photo, no S. And you'll see a bunch of processes running, right? That, that have to do with photos. And I would launch, I would do this while you have the photos app launched as well. You can look at each of these. There'll be like Cloud Photo D, as I mentioned. There'll be Photo Library D. And once you you see these, click double-click on them to bring up sort of the detail box about them. And then the third tab that you'll see is Open Files and Ports. Look there and see. It'll list for you the things that are open and that it's using. And look to see if anything is pointing at this particular store. But I don't, not only do I not have that folder, well, I, I obviously don't have any apps pointing to a non-existent folder here, but I, I think that's a holdover from an old version of maybe, you know, iPhoto or something like that. So I, I think you're probably okay blowing it away at this point. It, it, did, did I get your, did I, did I, did my thoughts match yours, John? Yeah, it's a leftover. I mean, you can check the date on it. That, that would be helpful. Every I now like and it. then, yeah. Before I act something, I'll look and yeah. I, every now and then, I'll stumble across something that's like ten or fifteen years old. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I bet, I bet you've just got old data. Yeah, which is fine. You know, it happens. All right, John. Uh, I I promised earlier, or I I mentioned earlier that we had a quick tip that was uh, that we were holding it because it, it sort of flows into a, a longer discussion about a question. And we liked to pace the show so that we kind of get some, you know, we get some of the hits out of the way quick in the beginning. And then once we're all a little settled, we dig in. Sometimes we get into an extended jam in the beginning. That's okay. Uh, but, you know, unless we, I, I don't always plan for that. So anyway, uh, here we are. Tig says, uh, Tig was having an issue connecting to Max with Catalina using file sharing. And uh, they just wouldn't connect. Like they would see each other, but not really. And what Tig found was, he says, I opened file sharing in system preferences and unchecked the file sharing box. I then waited for it to like truly shut down file sharing. Then I rechecked the box to start it again. And it changes at that point to using SMB instead of AFP and doing that process worked. So if anybody's ever running into an issue where Max won't see each other, to turn it off and turn it on again, uh, but turn it off and truly wait for it to spin down the whole file sharing thing, then turn it back on again. Definitely seemed to work for TIG. So that brings us to Larry's question, Mr. Braun. Larry's question, which Larry's is question. right in front of me. I think so. 
<laughs> it should be. Yes. Okay. Hold on. Here cool. we go. I've got it if you don't, right, but so. I think you got it. No, no, we got it. Great. Um, I was just looking at the dialogue. So just about every time I open my MacBook Pro while I'm my my, while my wife is on her iMac, the attached screen pops up, asking her to validate my attempt to connect to her machine. I'm not attempting to connect to her machine, and I cannot seem to find a way to stop this. It is very annoying to her, and the problem is threatening the peace within her home. <laughs> I have tried <laughs> shutting my machine down, her machine down, actually logging in, and then disconnecting all to no avail. Can you help? And here's the secret, Larry. So, um... He sent a screenshot. Now, you all can't see it, but I can see it. <clears throat> and here's what tipped me off as to what is doing this. Um, in the upper left-hand corner of the dialogue, there's an icon, and it's a Bluetooth icon. It looks like a B, kind mm. of. Um, and then the wording was connection request from, and the connection request was from the other machine, and then there's some more wording, and it shows a six-digit number, and then they say, make sure that that number is on the other machine and you can connect the two. So it's a Bluetooth thing. And okay. actually, Larry found a better answer than I had, but I'll give you my answer. So, um, so first off, you could, um, first thing you would want to do here to try to debug this or any Bluetooth problem is go to system preferences, Bluetooth, and make sure that show Bluetooth in menu bar is checked. Um, now, if you hold down option and click on the Bluetooth icon in the menu bar, you should see send file to device and browse files on device. And I'm wondering if he had ever done that. Mm. I don't think he had. Um, another thing is that if you run system information, which you go to the Apple menu and hold down option, and then that'll launch system info, look at hardware and Bluetooth um, just to see what Bluetooth devices your machine knows about. Yeah. Um, just as, as a little check. Now, here's the fun part. Um, if you hold down shift and option on the Bluetooth menu, you'll now get a debug menu. And we all love debug menus because they let you do things that you shouldn't. <laughs> no, this, um, this lets you do. So under that is what I think he needs to do. Um, so there's a one choice there saying remove all devices which will basically oh. clear the list of all the things that you just saw in the last step. Um, my thought was that if you do that, then it won't try to connect again. And I think doing that may solve that problem. Um, yeah. You I just kind of want to give Bluetooth a reset. I, I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the, um, uh, or uh, go to library preferences, com.apple.bluetooth.plist and whack it. So that I think is also the, yeah, the, uh, another way of doing that though. I, I probably do it through the debug menu as well, but then so, Larry wrote back and uh, it, 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 explain to me this, this debug menu. Cause I, I option clicked on the Bluetooth menu on my shift, shift oh, option. That's what I missed. There it yeah. is. Aha. Wow. So there's, there is a difference between click Option click and shift option shift click. Option click. Yeah. Uh, look at that. Uh, one of my five new things. There you go. I like it. Oh, you can. Oh, look at. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this. I don't want to do it right now because I'm relying on Bluetooth greatly. But um, I'll, I'll right. I'll but here's what I think was the real issue, Dave. Because he wrote back and said, "Okay, I'm going to try the things you suggested." And also, I noticed, and then all of a sudden the light bulb went on my head. I think this was the issue. 
He said, I also had some shares defined and I got rid of them. Um, so if you go to system preferences, sharing, you know what one of the choices is there, Dave? No. Bluetooth sharing. <laughs> oh, right. I had honestly never used that before. So I think he had at one point enabled Bluetooth sharing so that the machines would, whenever it thought it was appropriate, say, hey, there's, there's another machine that yeah, I should share with. Yeah, 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 so right. So I think that's what was causing that dialogue to come up. So number one, I don't think I've ever done Bluetooth sharing. So it, it sounds... You know, it's short range and probably fairly low bandwidth, quick. maybe not as quick as Wi-Fi, but uh, definitely um, not as quick as Wi-Fi. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. But um, and there's also some other good stuff in here that actually I'd forgotten about some of them. Content caching. Looking at look at that. Oh, yeah. Which is off. Oh, yeah. I wonder which machine in my house is now doing content caching now that I've rolled everything around. That's an important thing to check. I mean, I don't want to turn it on right now uh, because, you know, I'm right, right. doing a, I'm doing a thing. But yeah, content caching isn't on on this one. I'll have to ch I'll have to check and see if it's on in the one downstairs. That can really be helpful for updates when you've got a bunch of Macs and iOS devices. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's right. And, and your iCloud right. stuff, too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's interesting that this came up uh, per per the last conversation. We we landed in the same place here, but to solve different problems. Right. So, yeah. So, so I will. For, uh, I, there was one point you we, we were talking about Bluetooth sharing. Uh, Jeff Gamut and I were at an event covering an Apple event, and there was Wi-Fi issues. Uh, there, like the Wi-Fi was just overcrowded. We weren't, it, I think we weren't in the, we were in maybe the overflow room or something. I don't know. But the only way that one of us could get online was using our iPad, I think, that had a, uh, you know, a, a, a cell chip in it, a, a mobile chip that that allowed us to connect. And so we connected and then it was like, great, now we'll just, you know, Wi-Fi in, you know, do Wi-Fi sharing, internet sharing, if you will. Uh, which is done there in the sharing pane. And we couldn't because it was try we were trying to connect over Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi in the room was over congested. And it was like, crap, like, how are we going to do this? And, you know, the clock's kicking down and we're, we're almost at the point where, you know, it's time to go. And I, I think it was Gamut that thought of it. And he was like, dude, let's use Bluetooth. It's like, aha, right. And Bluetooth sharing between the two devices for the Internet was perfect. Now, I'm sure it was low bandwidth, but so was everything else. So it was like it was it was more bandwidth than Wi-Fi in that scenario, which is all mm. we needed. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I like it. Nice. Cool. Uh, listener Rob brings us back to a conversation that we had last week about Thunderbolt and Thunderbolt chains and managing things and all of that. And uh, he says, since Thunderbolt seems to be popular for the moment, I wanted to ask about something that crossed my mind while listening. I recently retired my 2012 Mac mini server to Windows duty and replaced it with a brand new Mac mini uh, 2018 Mac mini. Of course, this uh, also allowed me to retire the legendary Thunderbolt display I was using with it. The display was a treat and I so wish Apple would have just refreshed it with new internals instead of the ridiculous pro display. I swear Apple did that. And the Mac pro is an actual insult to those prices uh, at those prices, but I digress. 
He says, I also have a 2018 15-inch MacBook Pro, and I remember you discussed uh, things about the the order in which you plug things in. That's not quite as important on the four Thunderbolt port devices as it is on the the two, but but there there is a thing. You're right. And if you plug... Uh, be aware when you plug Thunderbolt devices in, especially if it's the second or third or fourth device. I think on those machines, it would be probably the fourth device. So if it's the last device filling up a slot, you it might not connect at Thunderbolt. So there's that. Uh, but he says, my real question surrounds the aforementioned Mac Mini. Uh, do you happen to know if all four of the Thunderbolt 3 USB-C ports on the Mini share a single Thunderbolt bus or are they split if they are split, where does the split occur? I asked because I splurged just a little and picked up the LG 32-inch display. It features Thunderbolt connectivity in addition to HDMI and DisplayPort. No integrated webcam, but given Apple's refusal to put a 1080p or 4K model in even the new 16-inch MacBook Pro, I don't care. I'm with you on that. Yeah, Apple's webcams and their Macs are no bueno. Uh, it was as close as I could get to a new version of the Thunderbolt display that doesn't even exist anyway. He says, I'm quite pleased with it so far, and I currently have the display connected directly to the 2018 Mac Mini with a Thunderbolt 3 cable. I also bought an OWC Thunderbolt 3 dock, and it is also connected to the Mac Mini with another cable. All is working well, and I'm very happy. But that's my question. I'm not running the LG display through the Thunderbolt 3 dock. It goes straight to one of the ports on the Mini. The OWC dock is also directly connected, as mentioned. I didn't want to sacrifice any speed, so I thought it was wise to separate them. I'm not sure the LG display is actually rated for Thunderbolt 3 speeds anyway, and even if uh, it mattered, I heard rumors that the Thunderbolt 3 bus on the Mini is split, so I wondered if perhaps I should be using something like port 1 for the dock, then port 3 for the display, if that would make a difference at all. So, as far as I understand it, the there are two Thunderbolt three buses on that machine. And yes, they are split in the way that you think one and two, three and four. That's my understanding. It's also my understanding, though, that power is actually shared amongst both buses. So if you're drawing a lot of power with one and two, it can actually borrow power from the three and four bus. And, and that would be fine. Bandwidth wise, though, yes, you want to start to think about this stuff. Uh, I, I would leave it connected the way that you have connected it because you could plug the display into a dock and, and daisy chain it that way that would work. And I believe that display truly is a thunderbolt display. Uh, so it is, you know, it is doing that, but display data is data just like anything else. And as I've been going through my experiments here, I think I alluded to this last week, like there's, you know, you will your write speeds of your drives will suffer if they're on the same uh, chain as the display. It's just kind of how it works. Now, you might not have a drive that, that could max out at those write speeds. You know, it depends on where the bandwidth is allocated and how it's being used and all that stuff. But you are sending data across to that display. So, yeah, you, you should be thinking about how you're plugging things in. I, it, honestly, the simplest and, and in my opinion, best way is if you have the ports and on that mini, you've got four, which is awesome. I would do exactly what you're doing. Plug a Thunderbolt three dock directly into one plug the LG display directly into another. And I would, I would split them. You know, if, if your first one, sure. Plug into port one, your second one, plug into port three, 
your third one, two, your fourth one, four, right? Like do it that way and, and just balance it intelligently and test your speeds where it matters, right? If your drive is, uh, is, is performing fine, then stack them up so that you can leave some of the, you know, the speed elsewhere. So yeah, I, I think, I think, um, so there you go. Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't know. Those, those are my thoughts. What do you have, John? Nothing. Nothing. All my speeds are satisfactory. Right. That's it. It really, and you know, when we brought up that concept of, of, you know, when USB-C and you know, your Thunderbolt ports falling back to USB-C, especially on the two port laptops and all of that, it, you know, the, the real trick is this is, you're basically plugging directly into the motherboard essentially. And it's worth being a little bit diligent about how you're laying that out and do some, like you said, do some testing. If your speeds are satisfactory and everything is working as it should, then you're fine. I, I do recommend that when you get a new drive, you know, plug it as directly in as is possible and do a test on it. So, you know what the max your computer in that drive can can do. And then as you start moving things around, you know, now you have, you know, we always say, make sure you know what normal looks like. Well, now, you know, when you plug everything and you get it all plugged in the way you want, because it's more convenient, run a test. And if you're hitting your quote unquote normal speeds, well, then you're good to go. And if you're not, well, now, you know, then you can rethink and, you know, but it's it, like that mini is awesome. Cause it's got four ports. This iMac that I have, you know, it's the current 2019 iMac. I think it's due to be replaced by Apple, but um, not mine, but you know, the model line, but at the moment, the current iMac, and it's only got two Thunderbolt 3 ports, and I'm going to have a problem up here because I'm adding a Thunderbolt USB or a Thunderbolt USB, a Thunderbolt audio interface to replace USB so we get lower latency and you know better performance. But that and a Thunderbolt drive ends my bus. So I got to be really careful about how I chain these things and where I put them. And it's, it requires a lot of diligence. And, and it brings me to the thought, like, should I be using Thunderbolt drives up here or should I be using only USB, you know, maybe 10 gig USB drives so that I have more options and I'm not, you know, terminating a Thunderbolt chain. So I don't know. That's a lot to think about, John, but we're geeks. We like thinking about it. Any, any speaking of any more thoughts before we move on to Tony? No, that's per, the, the, the external drives that I have, the, the cable and the enclosure uh, get to the maximum speed of the particular drives. That's great. Once I get more drives, like, you know, direct Thunderbolt drives, right. maybe that won't be the case. But right. right. Yeah. For now, you know, I get, you know, 500 megabytes a second and I'm like, okay, that, that's good enough. Yeah. My problem is once I like when I, you know, this, this OWC drive that I said that I've got here in front of me, like it, it does, you know, 2,400 megabytes a second. Now, mm -hmm. I, you know, do I need that kind of speed for what I'm doing sometimes? Yeah. Like right mm -hmm. now we're recording video to it. Uh, so like, I guess, I don't know, but I like it. I like knowing that I have lots of headroom when I'm recording audio. If I've got, you know, we're doing this, there's a secret project in the works, John, and, and that's all I'm going to say about it. But it involves people, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, and so, you know, I've got this thing, this logic project going and it has like 35 tracks in it or something. And if I was trying to run that from a slow spindle drive, logic would yell at me. So, you know, it's nice to have 
extra speed. It's good. All right. Um, yes. Uh, one more question. Well, and then, and then more because it's what we do. Tony says, uh, we have all covered tirelessly on using two factor authentication when authenticating into websites and services from a browser or application. However, I think we need to discuss two factor authentication at the device slash OS level. There does not appear to be any inherent method to perform two factor authentication when logging in or booting up my Mac. We are pretty much relying on just a single password to protect our machines. Someone gets physical access and figures out the password. We're toast. I found some third party solutions out there, but they aren't free and are more designed for enterprise level. Uh, I understand that file vault is there to encrypt our disks, but once you authenticate macOS logs, you in directly and decrypts the disk. I do have a YubiKey he says that I use as a two FA token uh, for various websites and services, but there isn't a way that I can see to use this device as a second factor when booting and logging in. They do offer a way to use this uh, token as another method for authentication, but not as an additional method, just as a supplemental. In other words, you can either use this key token or your password when logging in, but not both in conjunction to protect your machine. Uh, this concern would hold true for the iPhone as well. Absolutely right. Uh, we only authenticate with a single pin when booting up, and this would be a good opportunity for Apple to offer Touch ID or Face ID as a second factor. There must be some technical reason they haven't already offered this as an option, uh, presumably. What are your thoughts? So this is, I love this question. This is great. Because in general, and you're right about this, Apple's, um, you know, Touch ID, Face ID, their biometrics uh, have been employed for convenience, not for security. Now, making security more convenient, therefore makes our, our devices more secure. Because if you were like me before we had, you know, touch ID or face ID, I didn't have a password on my iPhone or if I did, it was set to, you know, don't ask me for it, except at once every, you know, four hours or four days or whatever the longest stretch I could go with because it was inconvenient. Uh, but adding touch ID or face ID changed the convenience level. And so now most of us use uh, a passcode on our phones, which is great. Uh, on our Macs, our passcodes exist. But we don't really use them. We can auto, we can have our machines auto log in again, all about convenience. And Apple doesn't have two factor authentication anywhere. They call it two factor, but that thing where when you're logging in and you log in on a Mac and it says, uh, you know, uh, is it really you? And, and it says, I'm going to display a thing on your Macs. Well, it'll just, or on your iPhone, it'll display it on the same device. That's not two factors. That's two steps because you're not changing to a different thing, right? So that's not another factor. That's just another step. It hopefully is secure, but uh, because you've logged in on that device before, it sends it there because that device is attached to your uh, Apple ID. And and I get it, right? It's, it is about convenience first, uh, not security. But again, you know, Apple is a, a consumer-focused company. I don't... Like, I don't know that they care to make it more difficult. So I, like, I think you're right, but I don't, I don't know that I have an answer for you, but it is a good topic. What do you think, John? Well, I've been noticing more vendors taking it on themselves. Like you, you probably, as I did, got an email from Nest saying, hey, what, we're, we're going to enforce um, what we're going to call 
two-factor authentication, mm -hmm. or I guess they email you a code. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that w when YubiKey was mentioned, because I, I had actually set up my YubiKey, so I have, I think, the YubiKey 5 NFC. Okay. Which is a USB device, so I had to connect it using a, a dongle sure. to both my machines or, or to a dock dongle. Um, but I seem to recall when I was setting it up, they were like, okay, you can set up, you can set this up in an and or an or mode. Um, and oh. I chose the or mode because I didn't uh, see the problem with, uh, enforcing two factor authentication is what if you lose one of the factors? That's correct. And yeah. I think the way it's set up, if you insist that I have to log in with both a password and a token and well, you can't really lose your password. You could forget what it is, but if you lose your token, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. So I, I would uh, double check their steps. I think okay. you have to use a different program from them in order to enforce. Interesting. Always yeah. using two factors, but again, you know, consider that decision carefully. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was on, uh, I think it was one of the Mac break weeklies that I did with Leo Laporte that particular day he had left his YubiKey at his house and he uses it for his password authentication. I, th I think Leo is still using LastPass. I mean, he's sort of tied in with mm -hmm. them, um, but it was like, you know, he couldn't log into anything because, I mean, he could log into his Mac. Like, thankfully that mm -hmm. was there, I think, but maybe not. He might've had it set that he, uh, that he couldn't even log into his Mac, but he definitely couldn't like unlock his LastPass. Like that was just not an option. And he was like, yeah, I guess maybe I need to send somebody to my house to get it. And like this, and the other thing, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, this is the, like, you're absolutely right. That be, be careful which path you choose Do so with intention. Uh, Alex in our chat room says it isn't two factor for lack of a better term, actually the T2 chip. And I, I suppose there is some level of that, right? Because the T2 chip ties that drive to the Mac so if the drive is taken out, it's useless in another computer. But the T2 chip doesn't protect me from myself. Uh, if You know, in, in, in the example that Tony pointed out, if somebody gets access to my machine and knows my password, well, they're good to go. You know, they, I mean, just like I am, right? Like, that's the issue is how inconvenient do you want to make it? Because as inconvenient as you make it for somebody else, well, you now live with that. And, and I think your point brings that really straight home. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you don't leave it at home or hopefully it's always at home. I don't know. Which one is it, John? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. We got some other tips and questions and all that good stuff. The, uh, the next thing that I want to do though, Mr. Braun is I want to talk about our next two sponsors, if that's okay by you. Excellent. All right. Look, you've heard us talk about how important it is to have a VPN. And now that we're all working from home, well, it's even more important to choose a VPN that you trust. Now, you know, we do our research here on our sponsors and we really do our level best to only recommend things and brands that we believe in and frankly, that we use ourselves. And that's why I'm really happy to have ExpressVPN on board as a sponsor, because they are the VPN that I use when I'm doing stuff on my Mac, my iPhone, my iPad. 
it just works. And that's part of why I like them, right? Because it's like one button and it's on good to go. Another reason that I like them is that ExpressVPN doesn't log my data. A lot of the cheap and free VPNs, they make their money by selling your data to ad companies. Well, ExpressVPN said no. They developed a tech called Trusted Server that actually makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. They all run from from like a, a, a setup that can't be written to. So there's no place for your data to go. They just run the server. That's it. And it's super fast, right? Speed's important. And ExpressVPN knows how to make their VPN fast. And so they've done that. That's just how it is. It's always blazing fast. You can stream HD videos with zero lag. It just works, right? So protect yourself with the VPN that we use and trust here by using our link. It's expressvpn.com slash MGG. Do that today and you get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash MGG. One more time with feeling expressvpn.com slash MGG is where you go to learn more. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. We all know that technology has improved just about everything that we use, right? Phones, cars, shopping, We're doing a lot of that these days. Well, here's something that you can go check out because mattresses have more or less been the same since the invention of sleep, but we deserve better. And finally, the mattress has evolved thanks to purple and the secret to purple is this purple grid. Okay. It's, it's a, well, it's a patented comfort technology and it's built to instantly adapt to your body. It's this, it's this grid. They sent me like a sample of the actual grid that that's inside the mattress. And it's amazing. It's like soft if you poke at it, but if you lay something on it, it's really supportive. So for your elbow, it's soft. For your whole body, it's supportive. This is what you want, and it, it feels amazing to play with. The, the mattresses are designed with over 2,800 open-air channels, and so they're naturally temperature-neutral, this gel. So you'll never sleep too hot or too cold with a purple mattress. Like I said, it's soft where you want it, firm where you need it, cool all over. It is a mattress that does it all. And you can count on resting easy each night, year after year, because the ultra-durable Purple Grid won't sink or lose shape. In fact, they are so confident in what they do that every Purple mattress comes with free shipping and free returns and a risk-free 100-night trial. So, experience the next evolution of sleep. Go to purple.com slash MGG and use promo code MGG for a limited time you'll get 150 bucks off any Purple mattress order of $1,500 or more. That's purple.com slash MGG with promo code MGG for 150 bucks off any mattress order of $1,500 or more. Terms apply, of course, and our thanks to Purple at purple.com slash MGG, promo code MGG for sponsoring this episode. All right. Uh, I promised some tips, John, and Patrick has one... To deliver. Uh, this is more of a troubleshooting tip than anything else, but uh, that's what we do here. Patrick writes, uh, he says he has a very capable MacBook Pro, a 15-inch 2019 MacBook Pro. Uh, and he says, but the screen flickers and it drives me crazy. He sent us a video and sure enough, it's got like this, you know, this little flicker that's showing usually it would be a sync issue or something like that, but that's never good. Right. Uh, he says, I called Apple support and they didn't really have an answer and suggested that I mail in my computer. It's about seven months old and they would fix it. 
but I looked online and I, I'm not the only person with this issue. I did a few suggestions that I found online, but the only thing that worked for me was to turn off automatic graphic switching in the energy saver uh, system preference panel. Uh, although it says that will hurt my battery life currently, it's a must do. And uh, and there it is. And he says it's disappointing. Apple won't fix this. Well, I, I mean, I think the the issue there is that this is, in fact, a hardware problem. I will say to you, though, and your mileage will almost certainly vary. Uh, I hate having to, to, you know, not have my computer for a couple of days. My son had a weird issue with his MacBook Air. The lower left corner of it, John, was cracked. And it looks like it was cracked by the hinge itself. Like, I don't know how it would have happened. Maybe there, it took a fall or something, but it, it was, I mean, it was like the shape of the, the mark of the crack was uh, like an indent of the, the corner of the MacBook Pro or the MacBook Air rather, which is weird, but that's what it was. And so he, you know, did his thing and uh, called Apple and talked to, talked to them about it. We do have Apple Care Plus on that machine. And they were like, yep, uh, just send it in. So he did that this week. Uh, he called, well, actually he called last week on Thursday. They shipped him a box. The box arrived. Actually, the box arrived on Friday, but we figured since we had to touch it, we'd just leave the box over the weekend. So we just left the box alone over the weekend. And then uh, on Monday, we packed it up. And sent in a request for UPS, like Monday night, we really packed it up, sent in a request for UPS to pick it up the next day, because that's what Apple told us to do. It left on Tuesday, Apple got it on Wednesday, and Apple shipped it out on Wednesday. It was back here by midday Thursday. So we were really only without the computer for about 48 hours, uh, obviously. And that has been our typical experience with Apple Mail and support, is they really do try to turn it around the exact same day they get it. It doesn't always happen that way. Uh, we've had a computer there for a week. Like, so there's no guarantee of this. And, and I'm sure that, you know, I, I would hate to hear about one of you that, that expected it to be two days and it turned out to be nine, but it, our experience with it has been more often than not. It's, you know, the day they get it is the day it's being shipped back to you and it's all overnight. So I, I, I swear by Apple's mail and support. I've had way better luck there than I have with genius bars over the years. The genius bar, if it has to be shipped out and you do it via the genius bar, it, it's a mess because no one really owns the repair. Te technically in Apple system, the genius bar owns the repair, but once they no longer have it, it's out of sight, out of mind. They don't think about it. They don't check up on it. So if you think it's anything that would need to be sent in, uh, do it, just call Apple care directly and do it that way. That's, that's my advice. So, and great tip about the, the GPU as well. I mean, if you're having that problem and you have the discrete GPU switching to them would, would be the trick. John, I have a feeling you have something to add. Yep. But I already added in our notes here. Uh, I found this a handy tool, uh, to use if you have a machine with multiple graphics cards and it's called graphics cards status. And it basically, it will let you um, try to force when it, which graphics uh, chip is being used. Sure. And it also gives you the status, um, which I thought was, was kind of cool. Like one day, uh, one of our pals, uh, Dan posted a, a mathematical model that you loaded in a browser 
And it was funny because I, I clicked on the link to it and all of a sudden my machine said, Hey, I'm using the, um, you know, the heavy duty GPU. And I'm like, wow, I, I didn't know that a web page could force that behavior, but apparently it can. Sure. Yeah. If it's going to load something that, that needs to do lots of math. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, you know, a 3d model that you could rotate yeah. and, and, but apparently, yeah, you, you can tell the browser or some plugin yeah. to, uh, you know, engage warp drive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's pretty cool. Huh? Huh? My, my chair's gotten squeaky, John. It might need to be replaced in quarantine. WD-40 worked for me. Yeah, I guess that's kind of the trick, isn't it? It's probably probably easier and cheaper. I just had to find it. where to put the WD-40. That, that was the challenge. The trick. Yeah, I I I hear I hear the the sound. I know like where it's coming from. I just need to I just need to do it. I've been rejiggering everything in the studio. It's like my bandmates when they can come back over, they're going to be shocked that everything's different. But you know, the chair will be the same. So we don't want to have to change the chair on them, John. All right, uh, let's go to listener Bob. And Bob tells us, uh, we were talking in the last episode about uh, how just my personal preference is to do things the old way in terms of multiple monitors and have one monitor, or one space for all monitors. So disabling the default of different spaces per monitors. And Bob says, uh, if you ever have two very dissimilar monitors, you will likely find that separate spaces makes a lot more sense. He says, for years, I had a 27-inch iMac, effectively a two-inch monitor, uh, the, you know, the, the non-retina iMac, okay? Yep, and that's right. Two-inch? Did I say two-inch? I did. He has a late 2009 27-inch iMac, iMac, which is a 1080p, effectively a 2K monitor, uh, not a 5K monitor because a 1080p screen is 1980 pixels across. So that's effectively 2K, right? That's that's kind of how those measurements work. Uh, and he says, and I also had a 24-inch 1080p monitor. The pixel densities were so dissimilar that if I split a window across both, it was really weird. Yeah, I can totally see that. Yep. And he says, today I have that same 24-inch uh, 1080p, but the iMac has been replaced with a 32-inch 4K monitor driven by a MacBook Pro. And the dissimilarities are even worse. In both situations, separate spaces made more sense for me, and I like the menu bar on each monitor anyway. Yeah, for sure. I, I can I can totally see that. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, uh, and then with regards to the self-relocating docs that also was part of that same discussion, listener Bill chimed in and he says, uh, I, he says, I'm unlike you. He says, I do like the menus on each monitor. It's much less scrolling. I, I get that. Um, if I use, I really treat my monitors as one main one and one auxiliary. If I was truly doing like work and living on the second monitor, I can totally see where I would want a menu bar and, and I would want the dock to follow me and all of that. And that's kind of where Bill goes with this. Um, he says the moving dock moves by itself and I have no idea how to control it. He says, I used to use a dock on the left side of my screen, but when I bought the 27 inch iMac and I repurposed, repurposed my former twin 24 inch displays uh, from my MacBook for my Mac pro to bracket the iMac, I suddenly had a lot of screen real estate 
And this forced me to use the dock on the bottom because I didn't want it only on the very left of my leftmost display or only on the very right of my rightmost display. And I can see that too. I do like my dock on the left, but again, I'm not spending a lot of time, you know, all the way on the right of my rightmost screen where I have to come all the way back to grab the dock. Um, and so he uses the bottom and now the dock sort of follows him around uh, depending on which display he's on. So very, very interesting. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that perspective. It actually makes me rethink, like if I do set up a workflow where I want to have a thing there that I can totally see we're having the, you know, giving up the, what, 22 pixels of my menu bar um, would, would potentially be helpful. I don't know. You, you still, you do it the same way I do still, John, right? Um, I have everything on my higher resolution screen. The right. And the menu bar. Yeah. Okay. And you, and you uncheck the box to do separate spaces per display, right? Yeah, I think we checked that the other day, mm -hmm. yes, as far as I know. That's, that's right. We did that last that's week. That's how it's yeah. set up. That's right. That's yeah, right. my brain just yeah. knows, okay, if, it's a, if you want to make a menu bar choice, you... Yeah, go left. Go to the other go, or Go right, whichever yours is. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Cool. Um, all right. A couple more tips that have come up. Uh, Jeff was... Um, Jeff, Jeff had a, he had emailed us with a question about how his uh, router, I think it was his Eero was complaining uh, that it was in double NAT mode and it was actually causing him some problems. Double NAT doesn't always cause problems. In fact, more often than not nowadays, it, it's, it's fine. And double NAT means you have two routers stacked below each other. So, you know, in his case, he has an Eero and then that's below something else. Like it, not just a cable modem, but he was convinced that he had turned off bridging or he had turned on bridging, essentially turning off routing on his uh, gateway cable modem device so that it should just pass through and the Eero should be the only router. But the Eero was complaining that it was not. Um, and it, he, here's what he shares. It, I had changed from Comcast for business to Xfinity for consumers a few months ago to get gigabit speeds at a quote unquote affordable cost. Pretty much the same that I was paying for 150 megabit megabits down uh, with Comcast business gets me a gigabit down and 40 megabits up with uh, Xfinity for residential. He says our contract is up and they didn't want to deal. They didn't want to deal on the gigabit speeds with a business plan. Anyway, he says, while the tech was here, we set up the Xfinity modem and placed it in bridge mode, even though he wasn't happy about it. Uh, I have a mesh and I wanted that to do my routing. Long story short, I watched as he put it in bridge mode. We set up the security cameras and all was working. Yeah, I guess it was the security cameras that were caught that were not happy being in, in uh, double nap mode. He says, after that, I never checked the modem settings and I just assumed that the settings had stayed the same. Somehow, over time, that Xfinity modem had gotten switched from bridge mode and was causing the double NAT with my Plex issue. Ah, yes, that would be it. He says, I changed it back and things seem to be working now. So the takeaway here, and I have seen this, if you have a device that is not just a cable modem, if it's one of those residential gateways or whatever, and for whatever reason, you don't want it to be your router, you want to put it in bridge mode, do so, but I have seen them change on their own, uh, probably related to some software updates, John, I would think, but, um, but definitely be aware of that. And so I will say, if you have one of those devices every six months, put it on your calendar to just go in and check and make sure it's still in bridge mode. And that way, you know, you're not going to run into some weird problem down the road when it, uh, 
when it decides to change that. So thank you for the reminder, Jeff. It's a good one. You don't have a, a, a gateway device, right, John? You just have a cable modem? Right. Okay. So this, this wouldn't affect, this wouldn't affect you or me because we run straight cable modems here. So, which, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's plugged right into the Euro. So, mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, even with a gateway device, you'd plug that directly into your, into your Euro as well, or, or, you know, into your, your router or mesh or whatever it is. So, yeah. Uh, another good heads up comes in the form of a problem diagnosed. Uh, there was a listener, John was pointing out that he was working with someone that had actually working with several clients that had this Chrome search redirect plaguing their browsers where they would launch in either their homepage or when they did a search, it would redirect through some alternative layer on top of uh, Google. And uh, he says that my daughter was one of the ones effective affected uh, having this problem on her Mac mini running up to date high Sierra and can't get rid of it taking over her default search browser. Uh, she went through lots of different troubleshooting steps, ran malware bytes, didn't seem to fix it. But uh, what did fix it is profiles. Uh, I always forget about profiles. If you go into system preferences and you see that there is an option for profiles there. And as an aside, I highly recommend in system preferences, go to view and organize alphabetically because I can't, my brain does not remember Apple's layout, but alphabetically works. Or you can just go to the view menu and choose things alphabetically there too. Uh, if profiles is there, it means there is a profile installed on your Mac. Generally profiles are used for, you know, enterprise management of a Mac, but they can be used for other things and they are an, a common attack vector for these types of takeovers and go look in there. And if you find one there that you don't think should be there, remove it. And that's what listener John did on his daughter's machine and solved the problem. So don't forget about profiles. That's the, uh, that's the takeaway, at least as far as I have it, John, any, uh, any thoughts on that one? Yeah. The, from what I recall, because I've, I've set up, through OS 10 server, I actually do have a, a couple of machines sure. under control and I do have profiles. The thing is from what I recall, Dave, um, you know, maybe just to educate the, uh, you know, the family is yeah. that I can't remember the last time I was asked to install a profile and it didn't ask for a password. So from what I recall now in the, you know, with all the dialogues coming up, you know, sometimes people will just ignore them and say, yeah, sure. You want authorization. Okay, fine. Sure. And not know why. And I, I, I think sure that's that happened happening. in this case. Yeah. I, 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 that's commonly what happens. You know, you're installing something and usually that's how these, these, you know, Trojans get on there is you're in the midst of doing some installation that you're intending to do and they've sideloaded a thing and it's like, oh yeah, all we got to get them to do is approve, but they've already, they already know they're in the installer mindset. So, yep, that's mm -hmm. usually the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and then just for kicks. So here's a good way to uh, attract malware if you're into that sort of thing, because then you can play with it. Yeah. You know, like a cat plays with a mouse. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but um, search for an episode of a popular show and you will almost guaranteed get a thing saying, hey, your flash has to be mm. updated or your video player has to be updated. And totally. It's like, okay. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I'll even download them on when I try to run them. Uh, yeah. Either little snitch comes in or Apple's stuff. Right. We'll say, hey, this has the signature of something that's bad. So I'm not even going to let it's you bad run. news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Um, you know, that gets us through most everything here today. I don't want to go too deep into another topic because here we are. I do want to take a minute and thank all of our premium contributors, all of you that have uh, sent in your your contributions or had your contributions auto sent in the last couple of weeks here. And uh, and so I'm just going to go through the list. We have we have several ways of contributing. Uh, there is the monthly subscription, which is a default of 10 bucks, but you can set it to whatever amount uh, you want. And then there is the uh, every six months that, again, default of 25, but you can set it to something else if you like. And then you can do a one time payment. And uh, all of these come straight to us. They You can use Apple Pay for them. And it really is your way for those of you that want to and can. And I totally understand that you might not want to. I also understand that you might want to and cannot. And that's okay too. Like it's, you know, by listening to the show, that's the best thing you can do. Truly listening to the show is, is really the, you know, and I realize we all get something out of it. Five new things at least. Uh, but, but, uh, listening is, is, is great. Telling other people about the show is great. Visiting our sponsors. And then if you decide to buy, that's also fine. But our job is to pique your interest, not convince you to spend your money there. It's up to them to, to convince you that they are the right places to spend your money. So uh, all of that helps. And then our premium program is a huge part of it, but, uh, but don't feel like you have to participate. This is truly voluntary in every sense of the word. In fact, it was created because you folks asked us to create it and we resisted for a really long time. But anyway, uh, that's how it works. You can find out more at MacGeekUp.com slash premium and our thanks to in no particular order, uh, Barry, who normally is up in the air, but I think right now Barry in, is in displays. So thank you, Barry. Uh, Jeff from Chesterton, Chesterton, Indiana. Uh, David from Plainsboro. Jim from Harvard. Frank from Tunbridge. Clive from Burgess Hill. Scott from Bourbonnais. David from Mount Prospect. Matthew from Forked River. Michael from Robbins. Dave from Saugerties. Timothy from Coralville, Ken from Honolulu, Ian from Cardiff, or maybe Ian from Cardiff, if you're a big uh, Mythic Quest fan. Uh, they did that fantastic episode. If you didn't watch episode 10, the one that they did from quarantine all on iPhones, highly recommend, highly recommend. Fantastic. I forgot that it was them shooting themselves. It was so well done. Best quarantine episode of anything I've seen. Anyway, thank you, Ian or Ian. Uh, Simon from Vendrump. Mark from Knoxville. John from Fredericton. John from Wake Forest. Jim from San Jose. Chris from Chorleywood. Harvey from Shoreham. Rick from Traverse City. Corey from Kenmore. Timothy from Hendersonville. And Timothy from West Windsor. Bob from Lepeche. Daniel from Levittown. Bruce from Pascagoula. Tim from Des Moines, uh, Des Moines, sorry, two different spelling, two cities, but Des Moines, sorry. Uh, or Des Moines, is it? I know I'm getting it wrong. One of those is right. Several of them are wrong. Philip from Tucson, Michael from Altadena, Michael from Mission Hills, Ari from Kensington, Art from Pleasant Lake, and Thomas from Gardner. Thank you to all of you. You rock. 
And uh, John, I think that's going to do it for the show today, unless you've got something uh, else to add, my friend. Not today. Not today. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, let's see. Keep. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to read reviews today because we just went through all that, but uh, but I will read some reviews next time. Please send us your reviews to macgeekcap.com slash reviews. Oh, and if you don't yet have the free Mac Geek Gab app, you can go download it at me. <laughs> easy for me to say at macgeekgab.com slash app. Uh, and that's for you, for your iPhone, your iPad. You can go get it. You get notifications when the show's out. You can obviously listen to the show there. And uh, even the audio live stream is there, too. Of course, if you want to take part in the video live stream, well, in, in that you can watch it and chat along with everyone else and us, uh, we are streaming live uh, every week when we record the show on both Facebook and YouTube. And they seem to be working quite well. So now that we, I think we've got it mostly sorted out. So it's fun and uh, kind of gives you something to watch while, uh, while we're doing our thing here. So, and people to chat with, it's great. So we got to, we got to redo the live.macgeekab.com page, John, to point to all the various different places, maybe yeah. even embed the YouTube live stream at the top of live.macgeekab.com. That might be an even better way to do it. So that we're not doing the, the, I don't know, right? Maybe there's a thing here, John. I don't know. Do you want to take that project on, Mr. Braun? Quarantine project? Nope. Yeah, but you could. You did the last one. Like, that's your page. No, I'll look at it. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right. Uh, I think we would all appreciate that. Um, that's what I got. We told people how to contact us. We told them, yeah, that's it. We're, uh, we're good. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thanks to all of our sponsors, of course, expressvpn.com slash MGG, purple.com slash MGG, maxsales.com, linode.com slash MGG, eero.com slash MGG, smilesoftware.com slash podcast, barebones.com. Uh, and there's more in the mix there that I don't have right in front of me too. So thank you to everybody. It's awesome. You can go to MacGeekCab.com slash sponsors if you want to check out the currently active deals. <sighs> Another one in the can, Mr. Braun. Or here, live stream. Yes. I think I brought us into this, Dave, so I think you got to get us out of this. Oh, my goodness. How do I get us out of this? Well, uh, I stopped the recording, but not yet. I hope I haven't. No, I haven't. Good. Still going. Uh, I checked off all the agenda items. Oh, one more thing to tell you. Don't get caught. Made up.